from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. If someone daily wrote or tweeted about me and this show, I would read everything about it. This is the press box. Would you feel disrespected, though? Oh, yeah. Depends on depends on With Grady and Bischoff. Hold on. Jared's disappointed in you. Here we go. It's another day. It's a Wednesday. Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Why would you be disappointed in us? Trying to get through three hours a day. Sometimes we do it. Sometimes we don't. How are you, Tyler? Uh, I am going to be struggling to get through three hours today. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> All right. For, Come on. Uh, it's okay. I'll, okay. For... For those of you that are unaware, um, let's just say I've, I've had some uh, health issues. I fainted. If you've listened to the show, you know that I fainted before. Had some health issues. I'm getting a colonoscopy today, uh, which means at some point during the show, I've got to drink the other half of this heavy laxative. Mm-hmm. Um, so good luck to me and good luck to you guys when suddenly I'm not here on the show for 15 minutes at a time. It'll just be like uh, you muted yourself. <laughs> And we're like, are you Hopefully there? Hopefully I muted. Hopefully are you there? A mute button that's are you there? We, I sometimes make the joke that you guys are doing the show whenever you're at home from the bathroom. Uh, that's possible to happen. No, today. no, no. I'm drawing the line as the producer on this show. <laughs> Do you still it's have the right. hole in the bathroom? Put the laptop outside the bathroom. Oh, no, we fixed that bathroom. There is no longer a hole in the wall uh, outside the bathroom. Should have waited. But, yeah, so this will be a interesting nah, show. Last night wasn't, wasn't the most fun. It'll be good. You'll be fine. We got Vinny on at 730. <laughs> should, should that be the question we ask every... No. Uh, have you ever had a... a uh, before we get started. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think we get into that personal uh, per, uh, situation. I bet Jason Fitz has a story. <laughs> Might as well start this thing. <laughs> The first bite. Garth Brooks was in the waiting room. The the press box first bite is brought to you by the LVSportsNetwork.com, where you can catch all the streams of all of the shows on the LV Sports Network. Will the Raiders only win six games this season? Well, here we go. We both thought uh, maybe, you know, we were uh, getting a hard time from people picking them fourth, and then here comes Station Casinos with the point spread on every Raiders game, and they're only favored in six. Now, if that works out, yeah. Although, uh, you, yeah, you might have them third. You might have had them third. So you surprised I did, yeah. This? Don't, don't lump me in with okay, you, Okay, don't lump me in with hater. the fourth place with the hater. I've got them missing the playoffs in third place in the AFC okay. West. Come okay. on. All right. Um, I so going yeah. ten and six and not winning, or ten and seven and not winning a single uh, AFC West game. That'd be fun. Um, so here, yeah. So basically, like you said, Station Casinos put out a line for every Raiders game, and they're only favored in six. Now there's a, there's a pick'em game against New England in there, so they're underdogs in ten games. And if you go through, here's here's the actual number on the games where they are underdogs. They're a one point underdog in their home game against Denver, five-point dog when they go to Denver, six-point dog in their home game against Kansas City, eight points when they go to Kansas City, two-and-a-half hosting San Francisco, four-and-a-half at L.A. Note they're favored when they're at home against the That surprised me a little. Uh, Four-point underdog going to Tennessee, eight-point underdog going to the Rams, and plus two at Pittsburgh, and plus three 
at New Orleans. So we're not talking huge. Well, the Rams, let's see, the Rams, KC, um, Denver, but a lot of others are within four, four and a half. Right. So uh, a lot of these are close, uh, which I think is is going to be key here. Uh, but I am surprised. Here's, here's what is, to me, surprising about this. If you look at the AFC West, the Raiders are basically a touchdown underdog in both games against Kansas City, 1-6, 1-8. They're an underdog even in their home game against Denver, and they are favored at home yeah. by a point and a half against the Chargers, underdog by four and a half at the Chargers. Stations Casino is telling you the Raiders are the fourth best team in the AFC yes, West. Absolutely. And it's and it's not particularly yeah. close. No. Uh the ones that stand out is what you said. Uh versus Denver, I thought they'd be favored. And but on the flip side, I thought they'd be dogs to the Chargers both times. <laughs> right. I thought they'd be do- I, I thought that the Chargers, who, you know, a lot of people are gonna pick to win the division. They're kind of the the uh uh sexy pick here because, you know, people have to pick someone other than Kansas City. I was surprised that they're ever a favorite against the Chargers, but they are, and yet they're dogs against Denver. That That's, the, the like you said, those are the two that kind of stand out that they would be a dog against Denver, which, what does that tell you? They think the Broncos have a chance to finish second? I think so. I think there's, there's a lot of people that are going to have the Broncos as a legitimate Super Bowl contender this season. Now, the other part that jumped out to me was if you look at the lines against other, you know, playoff-level teams, teams that we expect to be, a playoff level team plus four at Tennessee plus eight at the Rams plus two and a half in a home game against the 49ers. And then there are pick them against the Patriots, a one point favorite in a home game against the Colt and Colts and a one point favorite in a home game against the Cardinals. The stations casino is saying they're not close at all to the Rams stations. Casino is saying they're about the same as the Titans, maybe a little worse, but home field gives the Titans gives a them three. Edge. And then they're not particularly close to the 49ers because the 49ers are plus or are minus two and a half coming to Vegas. So basically, Stations Casinos with their lines, if you try to read really deep into those, they're the fourth best team in the AFC West. And they're going to be a fringe if that like like best case scenario, they're a fringe playoff team. Well, and they're, it doesn't seem like they're that close to Kansas City. Right. We'll throw that in there. Plus six and plus eight. Um, I don't even know if it says they're a French playoff team. Where is the New England game is here? Yes. Uh, yes, I believe so. Kind of a schedule leaks. People are suggesting that's the first game on that Monday night, Ooh. which would be kind of cool. You know, getting Belichick against him right away. Are that, people are people outside of Las Vegas and and New England going to care about Belichick versus McDaniel's? Um, no, but I think they always, in some way, good or bad, care about the Patriots a little. Yeah, yeah. In terms of, you know, love them, hate them, would love to see them lose. So, no, the the specific matchup between the coaches, coaches, even if you're Belichick, coaches aren't, people don't watch games to watch coaches, but I, I think they're going to watch, well, it's Monday night, it's first Monday night, so they'll get really, really good ratings. Um, but a lot of it also has to do with the Patriots and, you know, you hate them, you love them, but, you know, people watch them. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel pretty confident if you put the Raiders on any of their games on Monday night football to open the year, they'd get good ratings. They're going to get good ratings because it's, it's the opening. 
and, it, and it's the NFL. They could right, right. They could put they could Jacksonville against the Jets. Right, and it'd be incredible. People would be like, "Oh, we're so happy to have the Jacks and the yeah. Jets back on our television." Well, those Thursday night games, which used to be just completely awful, would like lead the television ratings. Oh yes, I they, mean it was just they just kill everybody. We've had years where Thursday night football is just a train wreck every single time. Yeah, on purpose, I think, and they still get because they know they're going to get ratings, so they just right. put bad teams on there. We all watch it because it's like, ah, well, yeah, I got so the Jags wide receiver on my fantasy team, yes, so I better exactly. watch every play here. Exactly. So, so if you here's here's one way to look at these point spreads, by the way, from Stations Casinos. Don't pay extremely close attention to how many games they're actually favored in underdogs because okay, being I an won't. underdog in 10 games, it doesn't look good. But if you go through their schedule, the Raiders have two games in which they are big favorites, right? They play Houston and Jacksonville. They're favored by a touchdown or more in both of those games. They have two games where they're big underdogs as well by more than a touchdown. That's at Kansas City and at the Rams, right? So there's four games on the schedule that I shouldn't say predetermined, but are kind of predetermined, right? There's two wins and two losses built into the schedule. Then there's four games that are kind of close where they're sort of between three and a half points and seven points. Now the problem is the Raiders are underdogs in all of those games. There's no games where they are favored by three and a half to seven points. So You'll probably, with four of those, you, you probably won't lose all four, but you're probably going to lose most of those when you are an underdog by three and a half to seven points. So maybe they go one and three. If they're lucky, they go two and two. But the real key to the season is that nine of the Raiders' games have a point spread of three or less. And the key to the season for the Raiders is going to be to win a lot of those close games. That's yep. the key, right? If they go if in those nine games, if they go like four and five, yep. they're not going to the playoffs. They're probably winning six or seven games, and it's going to be a, a failed season from that regard. But in those nine essentially toss-up games, if they can win, if they can go six and three, maybe seven and two, then this team is probably going to the postseason. This team has a chance to win the AFC West because they've played really well in games that they were supposed to be toss-ups. Now, the problem with that is normally toss-up games, you're 50-50, right? You're going to go about 500 in them. So expecting them to go 7-2 and two or something in toss-up games is probably unrealistic, but those are the games that are going to decide at the nine games with a very small point spread. I'm fascinated if I'd love to, and I'll go maybe uh, check it out later because they've obviously released a lot of these games. I'm going to go back to if they think I'd, I'd be fascinated to think if they if we check the odds of Denver and the Chargers if they think Denver's better. I, the one of all these games of all these games that stand out, I'm I'm more surprised that they're a dog at home against Denver. Maybe even more so than the favorites against the Chargers. Like neither of those make any sense to me. So I want to go back maybe today and, and and try to go to stations and see a lot of their odds on Denver and the Chargers. I'd love to know if we can figure out if they think Denver's better than the Chargers. That would, like, shock me. Ooh, we're going to go gamble with the Ed at the stations. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give you one disappointment. I believe they only put out the lines on the Raiders games. That's it? I think this was a special, hey, we're no, going to we release the that. lines on the whole We need, like, schedule leaks. We need leaks on lines. Right. We need a lot of leaks out there. Right. I'm sure we'll get them very soon. Um I, I, to me, that's interesting too because you know, like I predicted a week ago or something, I think the Broncos finished last because I think my big thing with the Broncos is yes, 
Russell Wilson is better than what they've been putting at quarterback for what yeah, not six if you like, seasons not if you or something Pete like that. Yeah, well, <laughs> Drew Locke, superstar. But I'm not convinced Russell Wilson is going to be a top, whatever, five or six quarterback. So I'm not convinced that Denver is all of a sudden a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I, they're they're going to be much much better there's no doubt about that and they're going to be a playoff level team maybe they missed the playoffs but because there's going to be like 13 playoff level teams in the afc this year but it, i just i'm not convinced russell wilson is going to be a you know transcendent quarterback that leads the broncos to whatever a 12 or 13 win season which if they finish second in the afc west they might need to win 11 or 12 games to do that i forgot they played san francisco and they're at seattle Seattle's not going to be very good this year. No, and they're three and they're three point dogs there. <laughs> no, three. No, they're three point favorites. Okay, so yeah, Seattle, Seattle. Okay, they're three point yeah, favorites. Yeah. Okay, which right. which implies Seattle's not very good. No, exactly. <laughs> I are you surprised they are underdogs? They're road games, but are you surprised they're underdogs against Pittsburgh and New Orleans? Yes, I am. I was at the last Pittsburgh game. I am surprised at underdogs at at, at both those places because yeah. Pittsburgh's you know quarterback situation, New Orleans. I'm surprised at both of those. Those are going to be their quarterback situation in Pittsburgh. (laughs) I think those are going to be two of the key spots of the season. And we'll see where they end up being, what what week they end up being played, what tomorrow they release the schedule. So those are probably going to be the two, because those are road games against teams that are most likely not going to the postseason. So those are the level of team you should be beating, but you've got to do it on the road. You've got to travel on the road and win those games. And the teams aren't going to be, Houston Texan bad that you're just oh yeah obviously you're winning that game so those might be two of the biggest games of the entire season can you win on the road against a bad but not terrible team and if they can do that this team might be going to the postseason but if they can't even if they split those two they might be missing out on the playoffs because that's how close it's going to be because the AFC is kind of ridiculous this season. There was a bit of a leak yesterday. I don't know if it was true because I don't know. I don't think it came from the NFL. It came from one of those NFL schedule leaks. We'll see that the Raiders on Christmas would be at the Titans. What a terrible Christmas Day game. Oh. Everything on the schedule and at Tennessee. Oh, that's kind of boring. I don't like. I said I don't know how. It's one of those. Hey, here's your schedule leak. And I guess at least it's not at Jacksonville. Oh. <laughs> spending christmas there what a disaster <laughs> oh man yeah here you go ed i hope you're going to jacksonville on christmas yeah i'm That'll sure you do i'm sure you're rooting for, you. for that right now <laughs> all right coming up next we'll jump into the golden knights because jack eichel uh, guess what he wasn't healthy we're back to the press box morning show with ed graney and tyler bischoff The Golden Knights did not win the NHL draft lottery yesterday, so their pick got slotted into 16th, and that means the Buffalo Sabres will get that first-round pick, completing the Jack Eichel trade, which was Jack Eichel and a third-round pick coming to Vegas, Alex Tuck, Peyton Craig, Krebs, a first-round pick, which will be 16 overall, and a second-round pick going to buffalo we also had george mcphee he was on john shannon's podcast this week and george mcphee revealed on that podcast that jack eichel played roughly the last six weeks of the season with a broken thumb he got hurt in march blocking a shot and broke his thumb but eichel did not sit out did not actually miss games he played through that broken thumb so 
when we look to the future with Jack Eichel, because he's under contract for a very long time with the Golden Knights, what should our expectations be and how much uh, benefit of the doubt should we give him after we learn that he played through this season with a broken thumb? Okay, hold on here. You had me at George McPhee spoke. <laughs> is that true? Have we? Have Who we confirmed, is that guy? Have Who we confirmed George McPhee? George McPhee actually went on a podcast or talked to it, someone uh, in terms of, well, uh, it's not the media in town. He wouldn't want to do that, so you had me at that. Um, I think, look, I think we should give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, it's, I'm not surprised he played through it. I mean, Alex Martinez played with a broken foot in the playoffs last year, so they tend to be tough guys. Uh, we know about his neck surgery. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt till next season if he's completely healthy and see if he's the Jack Eichel they thought when they traded for him. Um, this, It's like Ryan Wallace told us yesterday. He didn't take many draws the last month, maybe – uh, maybe this is why, uh, because that's weird for a centerman not to do that. So I, I'm ready to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, it didn't, you know, you you and I had said on the show, talked about Mark Stone's back and how that was affecting him, and we could tell. And you know, I mean, you said often that it just didn't look like it was Jack Eichel. Now he had the neck surgery, so you didn't know how that was affecting him. But it didn't look like the guy that we thought they traded for. Now we understand he had a broken thumb which, you know, uh, I would assume impedes his, his chances of being the best he can be. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, you know, to play that long with that, I mean, you know, that that's pretty tough. To me, it seems like it's going to be very hard for the Golden Knights to come out winners of this trade because there are a lot of ifs with Jack Eichel right now. And, like, he's only, what is he, 25 years old? He's, young, he's not 25. exactly old. No. But he's coming off... This year, his points per game was the second lowest of his career. The only time he had a worse points per game as an NHL player was his rookie season in Buffalo. So this was, you know, by and large, his worst season since he was a rookie in the NHL. Still put up decent point totals, right? Still, even if they get that Jack Eichel for the rest of his contract, he's still going to be a useful player. The problem is the Golden Knights traded away one useful player in Alex Tuck and then two potential more useful players in Peyton Krebs and the 16th overall pick to get Jack Eichel. So he's got to be a lot more than useful. And then you throw on top of that, he makes $10 million a year. The Golden Knights are already over the salary cap, right? Alex Tuck is scheduled to make $4.75 million. Alex Tuck was one of the best contracts that the Golden Knights had because he signed until he's like 30 for less than $5 million a year. So Eichel's got to produce, or he's got to basically be better, twice as better as Alex Tuck is, plus Peyton Krebs, plus the 16th overall pick. I think it's really hard for them to win this trade unless Jack Eichel is a superstar. What like, if he's what everyone said he was when they got him, which is a top five player in the league? Yes, that's that's what he has to be for the Golden Knights to win this trade. And I just think there's too many questions to sit here and say that that's what you're going to get out of Jack Eichel for the right. next five years. It it might happen, right? It might come back, but we're talking about he's coming off a of neck surgery, right? He got a lot of benefit of the doubt because of that, which is fine, right? Neck surgery, come back and play hockey sounds difficult. But yeah. now we're talking about <laughs> he's got a now we're talking about a broken thumb, right? That he, he played heal. through and credit it hasn't through, already. Right? No doubt about it, but I think the bar is so high for Jack Eichel that it's going to be very, very hard for him to match that 
for the majority of his contract, which is what Vegas needs, not only for them to look back and say that it was a good trade, but for them to be legitimate contenders, right? I mean, that, right, that's right. that's what they need. They need, well, they need him to be to incredible be, to be legitimate right. uh, legitimate contenders for the Stanley Cup. Yeah. So they can get to the playoffs with him being right. good. Right. And that I think is is the problem when assessing A, the trade for Jack Eichel, and B, where this team is and how legitimate of a Stanley Cup contender they are. Because the other like the other big issue for Vegas going forward, and, and we'll see how much they change the roster because this obviously could change, but they're gonna be top heavy for quite a while because they've got a lot of big contracts. Eichel's one of them, Stone, Petrangelo, Patcheretti. Like they've got a lot of big contracts. They're gonna be top heavy. They're not gonna be able to have great depth unless they find guys that are making the minimum that can play uh, overplay their contract, which they'll probably find a couple over the next few years, but maybe not enough to sustain. So they're going to be top heavy. And when you're top heavy, that can be okay. But the top heaviness has to be awesome. I mean, they've got to be really good. And so Eichel can't just be decent. Eichel's got to be Yeah, he can't be, be what awesome we saw already. He's got to be a million right. times better than what we've seen already. But again, he had the broken thumb, so I'm going to reserve judgment on him. And the neck surgery, who, which a neck surgery no hockey player had ever had in history. So yeah. he had a lot going on this year. Now he has... A, because they didn't make the playoffs, he's got a lot of time to rest. <laughs> he's got more time than he rested than he probably wanted to. So let's see how he comes back. But you're right. I mean, he, he, he's he got to be a star. He's He's got to be the guy that we heard about and people went crazy over when they wanted to trade for him. And they said, this guy's going to be the difference. And Kelly McCrimmon and everyone was pumping up is, you know, literally a superstar. Um, so we can see if he we'll see if he can be one. Yeah, and if he and if he comes back and does that, right? If next season he's a superstar, then right, the conversation is about Jack Eichel being a top five guy in the league. Jack Eichel is producing, you know, way more than a point per game or something like that. Then the Golden Knights will look around and say, "Yeah, this is the guy we traded for. This is why we gave up Alex Tuck, and and we can talk about how it potentially a winning type of trade." But we haven't seen that yet, and there have been. There's two different injury concerns with him, and not that he won't recover from a broken thumb, but he's not going to. That, that's I think that's the other key with the NHL. The guy, these guys aren't going to stay 100 percent healthy next year. As no, much as there's they no chance. Injuries, no, there's no chance. Right, they're going to suffer injuries. It's just the reality of hockey. So it's not like all of a sudden they're going to have perfect health next year. And I'd argue, given the age of most of their good players, Eichel's pretty much the only exception to this. They're probably going to still suffer injuries, yes. a significant amount of injuries over time. So, well, they've got to get under that cap, so there'll and be some too. injuries <laughs> left and right. There's, someone will get hurt, and then then uh, will go on a podcast and talk about it. Can you imagine if they start next year? Well, we got ten million dollars on long term IR again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll be okay. Coming up next, Vinny Bonsignore joins the show to talk about the Raiders. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now from the Review Journal, Vinny Bonsignore. Good morning, Vinny. How are you today? Vinny. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. 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 All right. Stations Casino has lines out for all the Raiders games. They're favored in only six. There's one pick them with the Patriots. And they're underdogs in ten. Is Stations Casinos too low on the Raiders? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, it's hard for me to. And, and Ed was there with me in, in Cincinnati uh, on a blustery day in January, where <laughs> you know when the Raiders uh, pushed the eventual AFC champions uh, to what the, you know the brink of overtime. You know, make one play there, and they're, they're going to overtime. 
with the eventual AFC champions uh, in the first round of the playoffs. It's hard for me to sit here today, what are we, May 11th, 2022, and actually think that that team that finished the season in Cincinnati is worse than they were uh, last year, a team that won 10 games and reached the playoffs. It's hard for me to, to believe um, that that team is worse. In fact, I think it got better, but that's just me. Uh, but I don't dabble in all the, you know, I know we, we are in Las Vegas and all that. Uh, there's reasons why um, things are set up the way they're set up uh, sometimes. Uh, and, you know, I don't, quite understand it. It's not my thing. Uh, but I do think the Raiders are better than an 8.5 uh, win projected uh, team. About the, the division then, because uh, there's there are dogs in a lot of these games, surprised at one of them. Uh, they're uh, uh, actually uh, they're actually favored at home against the Chargers, but a dog against Denver at home, which I don't know if I uh, agree with that because I think the Chargers are really good. They're probably the, the popular pick over Kansas City. But this this AFC West has a chance to be beating each other up, doesn't it? Where, you know, maybe put Kansas City at the top because they've earned it. But after that, it's probably impossible to tell. Yeah, um, and it, it, it is kind of crazy to me. I, I am kind of just getting uh, used to Las Vegas, but the fact that we already have favorites in games <laughs> months away from now uh, is mind-boggling <laughs> to me. We, you know, these guys haven't even gotten out on the grass for crying out loud. But uh, but I get it and I understand it. Um, and as it relates to the AFC, and really for this year, this year for the Raiders uh, in general, uh, the thing that's different for the Raiders is I don't believe they're going to go into many games. Uh, at a decided um, talent disadvantage. In fact, at this time in a lot of years, they're going to be able to stand toe-to-toe, eye-to-eye uh, with whoever they play um, on any given Sunday or Thursday or whatever that three-hour window in that particular week is, as opposed to years past where it was an uphill climb. Um, when you looked at the Raiders' sideline and the Chiefs or whoever else's sideline, you're like, eh. Uh, this could be a long day for the Raiders because they just don't have the talent uh, to, to necessarily deal with you know uh, teams like that. Now I think that's changed, and I think games are going to come down to what games normally come down to. Are you turning the ball over? Are you playing efficient football? Are you staying away from penalties? Are you good in the red zone? Are you taking advantage of your short, short yarded situational uh, football? Are you creating turnovers? And to me, that's a positive for the Raiders. When you can go into games now and say, well, these games are basically going to be decided by what decides uh, football games. Everything else is fairly equal now. There's some games where they'll go in and maybe um, you know not stand up uh, eye to eye talent wise. There's not too many on the on the, on the schedule that I see. Um, but it, this is a, a change from years past where the talent issue was a real issue. Are they signing James Bradbury? You think that happens? Uh, we'll see. Um, you know, right now it would be difficult for the Raiders to uh, to compete financially with some other teams because of the way the, their salary cap uh, is is uh, is set up. They're five million dollars under the cap uh, as we speak, but that changes dramatically uh, on June second when Corey Littleton's contract officially comes off and um, uh, Carl Nassib's contract officially comes off. Then you're talking about a team now with twenty five million dollars as opposed to five million dollars. So it might be a timing issue where James Brown. Bradbury, if this is where he wants to be, and, and the Raiders have made a convincing and compelling argument uh, that this is where he should be, he just have to wait a little while to uh, officially be able to sign. And that's you know that can be tricky for a player. You can anything can happen. You can step in a pothole, um, you know, uh, uh, working out or whatever the case might be, uh, and damage you know uh, yourself, hurt yourself, and, and that could that could put. Um, you know, a little pressure on that contract uh, that you're waiting on. So he has a decision to make, I think, in that regard. 
Um, and there's some other suitors, Philadelphia, Washington, um, the Kansas City Chiefs, perhaps. Uh, there's other teams that would be in the running for a player of his caliber. So, uh, you know, for the Raiders, I know that they want him. They would like to uh, add to their cornerback room, but it could be a waiting game here. Uh, and when that money comes comes free, how much do you then look at offensive line as well? Yeah, I would think, you know, the, now it's, it's, it's interesting about the offensive line because the Raiders, aside from the draft, uh, you know, Dylan Parham um, and, and Thayer Munford, besides that, they really haven't done much along the offensive line. And that could be they just don't quite like what's out there uh, on the open market or the money is not lining up or whatever the case might be. I'm surprised at how little they've done with the offensive line. But it also could be that, you know, a new set of eyes has come in and, and looked at that group and said, we feel like there's enough to work with here. And I've talked to a lot of people that, you know, familiar with the New England Patriots and their way of doing things. And if you look at the Patriots over the years, it's not like they really ever invested high, high draft picks in offensive linemen or big money necessarily in offensive linemen. They typically, I think, believe in their scheme, believe in, in their ability to get the, you know, find the, the, the five best players or the five best combination of players uh, and be able to scheme it up and get it done. And I'm wondering if that's kind of the, uh, the blueprint or model that they're following here. But if I were the Raiders, I would definitely uh, feel a little bit better about things uh, by adding an, at least one more veteran that you can count on to be that, that, that right tackle if things uh, don't, don't go the way they hope and plan it will. Given how good we expect the rest of the offense to be, how good do you think the offensive line needs to be for the Raiders to be legitimate contenders? Like, does it just need to be average, or is the bar even lower for that for them this year? I, you know, I think that they would. Uh, I, I think they would be very, very grateful for average right now, um, and I think that that would get it done. And again, you look at you know uh, Patriots offensive lines in the past, and I know they had obviously Tom Brady, but. Uh, you know, in, in, in Derek Carr, they have somebody that has always and consistently shown an ability to get the, get rid of the ball quickly. You know, you, you've added a, a guy in Devontae Adams that's, um, you know, you go watch the tape. He's, he's very difficult to defend. He finds a way to get open, as does Hunter Renfro, as does Darren Waller. So the, the pieces are in place. Um, for for you know along with the quarterback for the Raiders to mitigate maybe an offensive line that you know is is just okay and not really good um, and that they've done that in New England over the years and I think that that's probably what they're going to have to do um, with the Raiders so it can't be terrible you know you're not gonna you're not gonna just look at the Kansas City Chiefs a couple of years ago they got ravaged in the Super Bowl why because they couldn't protect Patrick Mahomes. They had some injuries along the offensive line, and as good as that Patrick Mahomes was, as creative as Andrew Reid was, it didn't matter. There's nothing you can do when your quarterback is running for his life, even a quarterback as good as Patrick Mahomes. So they definitely can't be bad. Uh, they, uh, there's no chance, I don't think, that they're going to be great, um, but if they could find some middle ground um, and, and, and be able to, to, to mitigate whatever weaknesses they have on the offensive line with a, a, a really good supporting cast, I think they could get it done. It's Vinny Bonsignor, Raiders uh, beat writer for the Review Journal. Also hear him over on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM in the huddle, 4 to 6 p.m. daily. Uh, before uh, we go on from this, let's go to Dan Ventrell and what happened uh, with his comments about Mark Davis as he was relieved from his duties as president. There's two sides to each story. Sometimes the truth resides in the middle. Uh, take us through what you think the next steps are with Dan this whole mess over there and well, how do you think this shakes out? There's an investigation supposedly by the NFL. We usually don't hear anything about that, the Washington being the example or if there's any discipline. But what did you think about his comments, and how do you think this goes from here? 
Yeah, it's 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 one of those. Um, you know, honestly, at this point, all anyone's doing is going to speculate. You know, we don't know what the facts are. Nobody's truly come forward uh, to levy any uh, official complaints, any official. Um, you know, whether it, whether you're talking about lawsuits or just you know shed light on on exactly what was going on or not going on, we don't know. And uh, th- those are difficult positions to be in. Um, especially as a media member, because, you know, you have to report what you know, and otherwise it's just speculation, and that can be uh, sometimes dangerous. So um, I think that the NFL obviously is going to take a look um, at at what's going on. Um, The writers are going to take a look at what's going on, um, and I think the facts are going to get somewhere. And even in Washington's case, um, you know, we can we can quibble about what the penalty was, but the, something was found in Washington. You don't just find somebody $10 million uh, and tell the owner you can't run your team anymore on a daily basis without them finding something. Uh, I'm not saying that that's where it's headed with the Raiders, but um, at the very least, I think something's going to, you know, it's going to get looked into, and, and whatever might be there or, or won't be there will guide everybody to some sort of a resolution. Well, he is Vinny Bonsignore from the Review Journal. Vinny, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Vinny. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Have a good one. You too. Uh, we're going to talk to Sam and Ash later today about Dan Vincelli and yeah. Mark Davis as well. I'm I, One of the main things I'm curious about with these two and the, the situation with the NFL and the Raiders right now is d- does it make it outside an NFL investigation? Like, is there an actual like lawsuit that isn't the NFL in charge yeah. of it? That's what I'd be That's what Vinny brought up. Is, is there any of these employees let's say that dan ventrell has comments from or statements from that take it to the next level and get in and and hire their own attorneys and bring something forward right because if it just stays within the nfl we might never hear about it again right right exactly it might that might be it like there might be some ah we've investigated and it's all everything's good guys but if it does make it outside the nfl investigation then we'd probably hear a lot more and potentially have a better understanding of what actually happened that led to Dan Ventrelli getting fired. All right, coming up next, uh uh-oh, is it time to get rid of Becky Hammond? The Aces finally lost the game. Come on. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. The Las Vegas Aces lost the first game of the Becky Hammond era. They're now 2-1 and on the season. Is it time to to get rid of her, bring back Bill Lambier, Ed? Did Bill Lambier ever have a seven-point third quarter? I mean, come on, <laughs> did he? Have. There's no chance he ever had a seven-point third quarter. They got outscored twenty-four to seven in the third quarter. They had they had a they had a thirteen-point lead. Yeah, they, thirteen at halftime. And then, then I think it went to fifteen. Yeah, like they they were they were cruising yesterday, and they end up losing to Washington, eighty-nine to seventy-six. They end up losing losing by thirteen. There was a, near a thirty-point swing in that game um i'll give you i'll give you two concerns for the aces after that game and it's game three of the season so how big of a concern is we'll see but offensively the aces did not get layups in that game asia wilson took 11 shots only two of them were at the rim and she was two of nine on mid-range shot kelsey plum took 14 shots only one was at the rim chelsea gray took seven shots None of them were at the rim. So the three players, those are probably going to be their three leading scorers uh, at the end of the season. They did not get to the rim. They combined to take three shots at the rim in that game. And that is going to be an issue. 
that continues, right? Regardless of like the more three point shooting that we're seeing from this team, right? This team is still built on Asia Wilson being one of the best players in the WNBA. And the idea of spacing the floor is so that you can get more shots at the rim as well. They need Asia Wilson to be dominant in the paint. They need Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, uh, Jackie Young, throw her in there as well. They need those players to be able to get to the rim when there's more space. And yesterday, they didn't do that. Now, it's one game, but if that's something that continues, they're going to have some offensive issues. The other concern, and it's also, it's kind of actually the same thing, just on the defensive side. They gave up 19 shots at the rim to Washington, and the Mystics made 14 of them. The Aces' defense struggled protecting the rim yesterday. And as much as we've made about Bill Lambeer being gone and how it's probably going to help the offense because they're going to shoot more threes, because they're going to uh, have more spacing, it's going to be more modern basketball. One of the things the Bill Lambeer offense, or excuse me, defense, did really well was protect, protect the rim. They had, I mean, they were yeah. bigger than almost everybody they ever yeah. played. So with Liz Cambage and Asa Wilson, you you didn't get a lot of layups. You did it just didn't happen a whole lot. So that changes with just Asia Wilson in there, right? You're playing smaller with Dierica Hamby in there or something, and that could be an issue throughout the season. Is that they're going to be a little bit worse defensively or significantly worse defensively? We'll see because they don't have the same rim protection. So three games in. Not too much to be too worried about, but those are two two main concerns for the Aces after losing their first game. My all-time favorite player in the league, you know who she is. I don't. Elena Delanon. Oh, yeah, they can't beat her either, by no, the way. No, no. <laughs> She's back now, and they can't beat her again. And she wasn't even like... She was okay. She was, yeah, she wasn't even like the reason that no. Washington won the game, but they, they can't beat Elena Delanon. No. There's her, and, her and Brianna Stewart, eh, that's, that's a, yeah. a t- tough matchup for the Aces, so... But the other WNBA news, uh, and this is from the Seattle Times, WNBA is looking to expand to two new markets. Currently, 12 teams in the WNBA. They they should be expanding, right? I mean, 12 seems like that's not even enough to have a league, right, even right. though that's what they've been operating. It just seems yeah. it seems it's a college football I think it's conference. A, it's it's it a popular enough league to where they can expand more teams. Yeah, I would, and you would hope so. Uh, that the WNBA can be popular enough to support a 13th and 14th market, especially when you look and see they're not in a lot of big markets, right? They're not in the Bay Area. Like, they're, Toronto is one that Sue Bird, when asked about it, mentioned. Toronto's a massive market. But there, there's some big markets. Houston, I think, is the third or fourth most populous city in the country, and they don't have a WNBA team. Like, there are big markets. This isn't... This isn't the NBA expanding where like, hey, is it Vegas? And, you know, they're the 32nd media market. Like they can expand to top five markets yeah. in the country. Uh, so, it's, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's a question of can can they find the right market that'll draw in, you know, because that's the other part for WNBA team. You don't have to draw 12, no. 15,000 no. fans a game to be successful. If you can go to a market and say, yep, we can get 6,000 fans. Yeah. That should be fine. You should be good there. So I'm I'm curious to see because the other part of it, like we talked about at the Aces, they traded for the eighth overall pick and the 13th overall pick in the draft. And cut them both. And then cut them within a month. Did, like not, They didn't even last a month on the roster. And probably a pretty brutal 
asset management for the aces there. But part of the story there goes to the the size of the league, where the eight, the eighth overall pick in the league gets cut yeah. before the season even starts. There's not enough roster spots, right. and if the WNBA does expand, you're you're adding, you know, what's that? 24 26 more roster spots so that changes and, and makes it a little bit better so it's i I'd, I'd like to see it expand i'm I would curious see. if they can pick the right markets to do so i'd like philly someone uh, someone well, someone, to, someone philly no, no um angry philly <laughs> fans media market i think that i do i think philly philly receives you know its teams well if they're any good i saw a tweet that uh i was surprised at that in terms of gear the second uh, Lakers are one, and they're always one this year. You surprised that Philly was the number two team in the league in terms of sold merchandise this year? And uh, that's kind of sell a lot of James Harden jerseys. They must have sold, yeah, they must have sold a lot of his jerseys. But I think they embrace their teams until they're bad. So as an expansion team, they might hate this team from the beginning. But I still think Philly'd be a cool time, a cool city. Houston, you just said that we there's a stat out the other day. In terms of people who've moved to cities, mostly in San- Las Vegas was two. Who was one? It was Houston. Yeah, it's and it's I think third most popular city. Yeah. Like there's so many people in that area that you can probably put any sports team there and expect to get five thousand people.